Let's take our Bible and look at the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians, chapter 11. While you're turning there, uh, I'm going to read this uh, letter from uh, the Brown family. Uh, if you notice, we often read the, the letters of the same missionaries over and over and over uh, more frequently than others. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's hard to read a letter that you don't have. So the missionaries that write often are the ones that we get often and the ones we have opportunity to read often. So um, I can say that because I was a missionary. And Pastor Stewart can say it because he was a missionary. And... Um, but uh, uh, as we get letters, what we have, we read. And so uh, this is from the Browns, uh, February 9th. Uh, we had one from the Beckers, but I, I didn't want to read that one tonight because last Wednesday you, we had a, a little audio update from the Beckers. So we'll maybe read that next time. Uh, this was uh, an interesting uh, letter from the Browns. They said, January, January was a busy month for us with, with lots of family events, some sickness, as well as the work of the ministry. And in it all, we have some blessings to give thanks uh, for. We have had our first church potluck, our first, uh, our first time to have local believers go door-to-door soul winning with us, and a group of local children being regu- be, began regularly attending the Sunday afternoon Bible club. We also had some return visitors from the Christmas program. Please pray that the Lord will continue to give strength and zeal as we continue with these weekly efforts to get the gospel out here in Maymut. I have been regularly visiting and teaching a man named, uh, it's N-A-T, probably Nat, but Nat, if you want to say it like that, who has been open to the gospel. He has said that he wants to believe in Jesus, but is trying to persuade his wife to believe as well before he makes that commitment. Please pray that both he and his wife will clearly understand the gospel and truly place their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that might, might fall odd upon your ears, but that is very common in Cambodia. Uh, so it's not just as simple as having a divided house. It's just a simple thing like it would be simpler here. We're planning to make a special focus this month on the local church as we continue to try to move forward towards becoming an official church. It is so important to have a solid biblical foundation for this, uh, for this, uh, for this, so the, that believers can understand why we gather together, and what we are, what we are to be doing. Please pray that this teaching will be well received, and that believers will continue to mature in their understanding and commitment to the Lord. Uh, and that's the Brown family. Um, they also mentioned their Facebook page, and you can look it up anytime you, you want. This month, just as a note, you know, I say this, this is a shameless plug because they are our good friends. Um, they, every day, they're taking videos of life and ministry in Cambodia and posting them on Facebook and uh, every day of the month. So you can go back. If you go, the, the, the Facebook page is called Browns to Cambodia. And if you go to that page, you can see the videos they put on there. My wife and I did did similar things uh, while we were in Cambodia as well. But they have uh, interesting videos of all kinds of different things they that details their life. So, um, so please look at that if you get a chance and you're inclined to. All right, Second Corinthians chapter eleven. As some of you might know, I have been uh, teaching at Tabernacle Baptist College about. I have a class uh, one night a week on the subject of cults. And as I've done uh, the preparation for the class, of course, I've learned a good bit, but uh, there's, especially in the book I've been reading, the textbook of the course, there has 
come to my attention, and, and I'm persuaded of what the author has said as well, that, uh, first of all, there is a great deal of false doctrine that passes as Christianity uh, that's in, in, the, in the world. That's the first thing. And that the best way for us to equip ourselves to combat and not be to combat that doctrine and not be deceived is by we ourselves knowing the truth thoroughly, thoroughly. You know, there's a, an illustration you probably have heard before, but uh, in the American Bankers Association, uh, this is probably dated now, but they had a training program. Um, this is supposedly a true story. They had a training program in which they would train people, uh, uh, potential teller, teller candidates, uh, in how to uh, detect counterfeit money. But for two weeks, they would handle nothing but real currency. So that they were so familiar with the real currency, when the counterfeit came came across their desk and, and through their hand, they immediately recognized it, not because they knew the counterfeit, but because they knew the genuine. And so that's, I think, the best way for us to understand uh understand and recognize false doctrine. Now, there is one doctrine in the Bible that is extremely important, probably among the most important doctrines in all the Bible, and it is the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Who is Jesus? That's really the question. And this is a question that has been a question with debate and apparently a great deal of mystery throughout the ages. This is not a new question. Ever since the Lord came into this world as a babe in the manger in Bethlehem, the question of who is Jesus, what is his identity, is a question that has always been asked. And as you can imagine, the devil has counterfeited Jesus Christ. In other words... He has invented, he has created figures and characters that are called Jesus, look like Jesus, if, if, if you will. They have the same facade as Jesus, but the identity of that person is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible, okay? Uh, just the same as if someone looked like you acted like you, carried your ID, but it wasn't you. The devil has created counterfeits. And what's interesting is that almost all of the cults, and this is one thing that I've seen from, from preparing for this class, is almost all of the cults, there's certain doctrines that all, almost all of them deny or change. And at the top of that list of doctrines that the cults change is the deity of Christ. You can imagine why. Because there is one figure behind it all. And there is one person that Satan despises more than any other. It's not you. It's not me. It's not Pastor Stewart. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. All right. So let's pray. And then we're going to read some verses. Uh, but before I pray, if you're a person that likes to take notes. So I, I see some notebooks um, if you're an alert person that likes to take notes, tonight would be a good night to write down some scriptures because I'm going to go pretty fast. So 
if you want to take notes, I'll just kind of give you a heads up so that if you do want to take, take down the references and look at them later, you can do that. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to fellowship together, to sing, to bear one another's burdens. Lord, help us to truly do that. And as we look into your word in this study of your deity and of what the Bible says about it, Lord, give us clear understanding. And I pray that these things would not just be just uh, cold facts, theological uh, points of doctrine, but they would be things that would resonate in our heart and in our soul with the Spirit of God who's in us, and that we would take these things and cherish them, because these are the truths of Scripture. These are spiritual and, and indeed realities upon which we have staked our, our very soul. So Lord, would you bless our study tonight with your help and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number, uh, let's look at verse number 3. The Bible says, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For he that for if he that cometh preacheth, notice this phrase, th these two words, another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might, bear, might well bear with him. Notice that, another Jesus whom we have not preached. So the question we need to ask is, what Jesus did Paul preach? What Jesus, of course, is the Jesus of the Bible? That is, listen, and I'll show you this later in the Scripture. If you get the identity of Jesus Christ wrong, you are not going to heaven. This is one of those things that you, you can, we can differ on some things that are biblical and we can have different points of view maybe. And uh, of course, I'm right. And if you don't agree, you're wrong. But we can have points of view that differ. But this is not a point of view that you can differ on and go to be with that Jesus in heaven. You can't do it. If you err, you have erred from the truth. You have gone into apostasy. Okay, this is that this is at the top of the list. But notice there are Jesus, there are, if I might say, Jesuses that people preach that are not the Jesus of the Bible. Notice they're called Jesus, but they're not Jesus. You see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now look at Matthew chapter 24. As I said, we're going to go pretty quick, pretty quickly through these verses. Look at Matthew 24. This is a passage that deals primarily with the end times. I say primarily, it is the context is the second coming of the Lord. But notice what it says in, of course, we know we're nearing those days. Every day that passes, we're approaching those days more and more. Matthew chapter, chapter 24, one of the conditions in verse 24 of the, of the last days right before the Lord returns in the second advent is what we find in verse 24. For there shall arise false Christs. Matthew 24, verse 24. 
false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. You see that? This is a Christ who is not the real thing. It could be a Christ who, a person who proclaims themselves to be Christ. Uh, or it could be someone, it could be a Christ that is the invention of men that is the, a, a counterfeit, just like a counterfeit dollar bill. But the fact is that there are, there are characters that masquerade, the Lord said, masquerade as Christ, but their identity is not him. His DNA is different, if, if you could put it like that. All right, let's look, at, uh, let's look at Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. I love this passage. I didn't used to love it. But I, I, the more I, I get in this passage, you know, there's some passages, you might call them seminal passages. In other words, passages that are extremely important throughout church history. In other words, they're like, for instance, what was the passage that Martin Luther uh, Martin Luther really affected his life and set and set the direction for you know uh, his issues aside. It is the the phrase "the just shall live by faith." Right? That was that was what got a hold of his heart. And, and as you study these passages, you can understand why why is John three sixteen such a well known passage? There's reasons for that, and this is one of those. Matthew sixteen. Remember I said at the beginning that the, the question of the identity of Christ is something that's been going on a long time. Notice this question. In verse 13, the Bible says, the Lord poses the question, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, so this is a question of His identity. And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. We know that's not true. Some Elias and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now notice, the, notice the, the contrast here. Notice he pivots. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? There's a contrast between what the world says about Jesus and who he is and what his people say about Jesus. This is called the great confession. There should be a distinction between what the world says about Jesus Christ and what we say about Jesus Christ. We must, listen now, as God's people, there is no one on this planet that ought to have a more clear understanding of who Jesus Christ is than we. We must know who He is. And it must not be subject to the, the whims of science as they study the historical Jesus and put these silly, dramatic, this dramatic junk on the Discovery Channel and the Learning Channel, whatever they put it on to try to deceive people that he was married to Mary or Martha or he's a polygamist or he was whatever. We ought to know who Jesus is and we ought to know it clearly from the Scripture, not from the preacher, but from the Scripture. Jesus asked, but whom say ye that I am? Talking to the disciples. And it says in verse number 16, this is the great confession. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, 
For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. See, the very fact that Peter believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, showed that he had an awakened spiritual understanding. He knew that even though Jesus looked like a man, as far as he was a man, he was 100% God and 100% man. He was a man. But Peter, by faith, understood his true identity. Now, he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In just a little bit, I hope to make it perfectly clear what that means, okay? As it relates to, to Christ's deity, okay? Now flip real quick to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. This is where we really get into the, the meat, the, where the rubber meets the road when it comes to why is this important. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 says this, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, plural, now, we always talk about the, the Antichrist as it relates to the tribulation, but this is not that. This is many Antichrists, plural, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye, notice the contrast once again, have an unction, which is simply a word that means anointing, talking about the Spirit of God, from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Now listen to this. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Notice what this says. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Number one, you can't believe in God aright if you misunderstand who Jesus Christ is. How can you believe in the Father if you don't believe in the Son? Okay? Number two is... What is, what does it mean to be anti-Christ? In this verse, we see that it is a, to be anti-Christ is a denial of the true identity of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, in this verse, the question is, is that, the question that's being dealt with is the question of whether Jesus of Nazareth was God manifest in the flesh, is the question of, was he truly deity? Okay, now flip over to 1 John chapter 4 and look at verse 1. 1 John 4 verse 1, notice what it says. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because, that many, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not 
that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Again, we're dealing with the identity of Christ. Who is Christ? Whereof ye have heard that it should come, even that even now already is in, in the world. So in chapter 2, the question was, was Jesus of Nazareth actually deity? Was he God? In this question, the question is, was he man? So if Jesus, if the Christ was not really a man, he had not come in the flesh, then I want to know this. Who was the man they called Jesus? You know what he was? He was just a normal dude, a normal guy. In either case, you're, the, the, you're at the attack of the Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist, deals directly with who Jesus is. Okay, it's a denial of who he is. All right, look at 2 John. Chapter, or chapter, whatever you want to go, whatever chapter you want to go to, but we're going to look at verse 9. 2 John, verse 9. Very strict verses. Very just pointed verses. Notice what it says in verse 9. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath, notice what it says, hath not God. That's why I said, I didn't say of my own accord when I said at the beginning, if you err, if you, if you are in error and you don't believe correctly according to the scripture about who Jesus Christ is, you are not a Christian. I don't care what kind of church you go to. I don't care if you're, if you got, if you got pruny hands from being baptized. I don't, it doesn't matter. Because you have transgressed and have not abided in the doctrine of Christ. You see that? That's not talking about what Jesus taught. That's talking about the teaching of who he is. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Here's the gist of verse 10. If someone, if someone errs on who Jesus Christ is, his identity, the moment that you pick up on that, you ought not give them any more of your ear. Listen, as a Christian, you and I should jealously guard the deity of Christ. Listen, you and, I are the, you and I are the church of God, which is the Bible calls the pillar and ground of the truth. Who did Jesus say in the great confession in Matthew chapter 16? We read a minute ago. But whom say ye that I am? Asking his disciples. They knew who he was. That was a point that was not a point upon which they could compromise. That was not negotiable. And that's, listen, on this point, there are other points as well, but on this point, listen. At no point should a Christian ever mingle in fellowship, Christian fellowship with someone who is wrong on this point. You say, well, that's mean. They're in error, you understand. That's why I say, this, listen to the words. You must contend for this. This is your Savior. 
This is who He is. You ought to jealously guard this truth. It is among the most important truths in the Bible, period. And as a Christian who has the truth and holds the truth, that is not something upon which you you may compromise. You must utterly and completely and totally reject anyone who questions this doctrine. I'm thinking Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm thinking Mormons. I'm thinking, listen, sometimes charismatics. There are some charismatic preachers that question this doctrine. They come up with these, they're trying to come up with some new doctrine and some, some novel idea they can teach, and everybody's like, whoa, I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's just old stuff that they, they've dug up. It's the same old trash that, they've been, that the devil has been, has been spawning from the very beginning. Now, what I want to do is I want to ask this question and look at a few other verses. In the great confession in Matthew 16, Jesus said, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the what? The Christ, the Son of the living God. So what does it mean to say, to believe, to be the Christ, the Son of the living God? What are the implications? What is the meaning of that? There are groups like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that give lip service to the idea that, oh, yeah, well, yeah, we believe Jesus. If you ask Jehovah's Witness, they would say, oh, we believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They would say this, but they don't. But they don't. Because they don't understand what they're saying. And they definitely don't understand what the Bible says about that, about that part of the Lord's identity. All right, so let's look at John chapter 10. John 10. John 10, verse number 27. It says this, John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. The Lord speaking, of course, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I could stop and belabor every one of these verses for a long time, but I have to hurry. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. Follow these words carefully, if you would. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's pretty clear. Now, cultists will say at this point, oh, so you believe in two gods, three gods. No, the Trinity is not a doctrine in which we believe in three gods. We believe in one God with three natures, three persons. Okay? But they, they create a straw man in which they say that we believe in three gods. And so they'll look at a verse like this, and we say, yeah, Jesus and the Father are the same. Be careful. Because Jesus and the Father are not the same. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And these three are one, 1 John 5, 7. They're not the same. They're distinct. But not three gods. You say, well, that's hard to understand. I'm sorry, I didn't write the Bible. That is God's nature as He has revealed it in His Word. In this case, what a Jehovah's Witness, for instance, will look at this verse and say, well, that's just talking about how they're unified. Does it? Now follow the context. If you know your Bible, you will be able to undo these stupid arguments. 
Okay, keep reading. Then Jesus took up, I'm sorry, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Now, if Jesus was just saying that he and the Father are unified, like we might be unified, why are they trying to stone him? Okay, keep reading. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered, answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because that thou, being a what? Man, makest thyself God. You see this? The Jews understood what Jesus was saying. He was saying he was God. And they got it. That's why they were going to stone him. Because they didn't believe, obviously. But it's right there. They got it. Jesus answered, answered them. Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest. Because I said, notice this, I am the, what's it say there? Son of God. So he said, I and the Father are one. And then the Jews understood that to mean he was saying he was God. And they were correct and they understood him right. And then he follows that up by saying, look, you don't even know your own scripture. Are you going to show me because I said I am the son of God? All three of these things are synonymous. If Listen, here, here's, the, here's the hiccup. Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults, many cults, but especially Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, they will say, oh, we believe Jesus is, is the Son of God, just not, we don't believe He is God. Job's Witnesses go a little one step further, and they say that he, we believe Jesus is, is a lesser God. Okay? I'm not joking. So in their mind, and probably in some of our minds, we have this idea that you have the Father... And then you have the sons just like a, a little bit lower, kind of like a, a, a littler God, if I might say that, a smaller God. And then you have the Holy Spirit a little bit smaller, maybe because of the order, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Maybe, that, maybe, maybe that's why. But what Jesus is saying here is, it's not like that. If, you, if Jesus is the Son of God, then He is equal to God. You say, well, that doesn't, the Father, I mean, the Son's never equal to the Father. This is how occultists would reason. I'll show you another verse. Look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. So Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day. In verse 10, down through verse 16. And verse 16 says this of John 5. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to, excuse me, and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Notice he mentions his father. That means he's the son. If you call someone father, that means you're the son, right? That's why, that's why they bring it up. There, read this carefully. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said that God was his father. What's the next clause say? 
making himself, what does it say? Equal with God. So to be the son of God is to be equal with God. You see that? It's not lesser. You're, see, if, if you fall into that trap of saying, well, Jesus is, is he's not just exactly like the Father. He's just a little bit, you have fallen into that trap. Because they understood it, the Lord understood it, to be the Son of God was to be equal with God. Furthermore, in the Old Testament doctrine of the Messiah, the teaching about the Messiah who would, to, who would be to come, it is clearly spelled out in the Old Testament, and the Jews knew it, that the Messiah, the anointed one, the chosen king of Israel, would be Jehovah. They understood that. That was in their scripture, and they recognized that. That's why they got so mad at Jesus, because they knew by saying he was the Son of God, he was saying he was God. That was what they believed about the Messiah. So they just did not want to accept that the man in front of them was he. So let's look at a couple of, uh, couple of verses. First of all, look at Hebrews. We're almost finished. Hang in there. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. Now, I'd really like you to follow along because I think you'll get it. If you've never seen some of these things, I think it'll, it'll, it'll be a blessing to you if you follow along and really follow the wording. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his, notice the word, son. Listen, in Jewish theology, that is the theology of the Old Testament, the Son of God is a major theme. Now, you might not see it very readily, but it is there. Psalm 2, kiss the son, lest he be angry hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now l listen to these words. Who, who's that talking about? The Son, okay, who, that's the Son, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. That is a clear statement that the Son of God is equal in glory to the Father and is His very image. Right? No, cult, no false teacher can undo what that verse says. They say, well, that just means He looks like Him. Whatever. Not only that, it says, and upholding all things by the word of His power. That's the act of creation. Sustaining the world, the created world. That is only reserved. That is reserved to only the Almighty, no one else. And yet it's spoken of the Son. Now at this point, Jehovah's Witness would say, well, God created the world by, he, in other words, He asked the Son to create the world. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was the first created being. That's what they believe. Now, the Mormons believe that Jesus and, the brother, and Satan were brothers, and they fought, and Jesus won, and so Jesus got the, Jesus got the, uh, got the earth. In fact, 
Mormons are basically polytheistic. They believe in multiple gods. But here's the thing. For a Jehovah's Witness to say that to say that Jesus is only the Son of God, but He's not very God, is also polytheistic. Because in their own Bible, it says Jesus is a God. But then the Bible, we know Isaiah chapter 44, chapter 43, chapter 45, over and over the Bible says, I am the Lord, there is none other. There are not big gods and little gods. There is God Almighty and then there's, that's it. So Jesus can't be a second lower God. He is either the Almighty or he's an imposter. It's that plain. It's that plain. Okay, let's skip on, skip on down. We could read a lot of this, but look at verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son. This is a quotation from the Old Testament. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth his... his Follow the words now, don't, don't get lost. And again, when he bringeth in, the, bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. This here is a quotation. From, from Psalm 40, 45, okay? Let's look at that, that verse real quick, Psalm 45. We're going to look at the original passage from which that uh, Hebrews 1 is quoted. Psalm 45, verse 6. Now, in Hebrews, in Hebrews, the Bible, by divine inspiration, God says that Psalm 45, verse 6 is spoken to unto the Son. In other words, the speaker is the Father, the Son is the recipient. You follow me? We're almost done. The speaker is the Father. Hebrews 1 says this. The speaker is the Father, the Son is the hearer. Okay? Verse 6, this is the original quotation. So the Father speaking to the Son says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. So the Father says to the Son, Thy throne, O God. This is the Father, God the Father, calling the Son God. Hebrews says the very same thing. Psalm 45 is messianic. This is God speaking to God, calling him God. This is unequivocally a statement of the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is very God. There's only one. He says, Thou lovest the scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You say, this is hard to understand. 
It's not that it's hard to understand, but it is a mystery. It is a mystery. But Hebrews 1, combined with Psalm 45, which is the original passage, plainly says that, the, that God the Father calls the Son God. This is what it meant to be the Son of God. <laughs> and that's, remember, that's an Old Testament prophecy about the King, Messiah. And in the Old Testament, they recognized that the Messiah was God. He says, thy throne, O God. Talking about the King, which is Jesus. Now look at two other verses in the New Testament and I'll give you a couple, of, a couple of references to write down just as a, so you'll have some additional ammo and then we'll be done. Look at Colossians, please, chapter one. I just want, want these uh, passages here, these verses and the wording of them to, be really, to really sink in into your heart and mind so that y- you understand what's, what's, uh, what's being said here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. Or verse 13 for, for, uh, for context. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Notice the mention of the Son. In whom, that's the Son, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who, who are we talking about? The Son. The Son is the image of the invisible God. That is a clear statement of the deity of Christ. The firstborn of every creature. That's not talking about that he was the first to be created. That's talking about that he is before all things that were created. How do I know that? The next verse. For by him, by the Son were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things are created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So if Jesus Himself was created, the first creation, then you got a problem with that verse because that's, that verse says everything visible and invisible was created by Him. That wouldn't necessarily have to include Himself if He was created. But He wasn't. This once again speaks of the creative power of, of, of God in Christ, that he created the world. All right, lastly, look at Philippians chapter 2. Two couple pages over to the left. Verse 5. It says this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, notice the words, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be what? Where did you hear that before? John 5, verse 18. They were going to stone him because they said, you're making yourself equal with God. Yeah, he was, he, was, he is equal to God. But it says here, being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God. Once again, a clear statement of the deity of Christ. 
Now, once again, as a Christian, as a born-again believer, as a child of God, true, a true child of God, this religious world is not the safekeepers and the guardians of the doctrines of Scripture. You are. We must tenaciously, unashamedly, and vociferously hold to these truths and jealously, as I said, guard them and not in any way compromise to be nice with anyone who holds, who holds a different view on who Jesus Christ is. You see, there is no grounds of fellowship with someone like that. I don't care what kind of church they go to. In fact, the Lord says it's antichrist. All right. The Lord says that we should earnestly contend for the faith. Now, the last verses I would like you to write down. We won't read these. Read these. John chapter 20, verse 28. Thomas says after the resurrection, he calls Jesus, my Lord and my God. So either there's more than one God or Jesus is God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was not a God, but was God. And then lastly, the one I wrote down, there's more. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the uh, prophecy of the fact of Jesus' virgin birth. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Not Jesus, but Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus, that baby, that's God with us. That's why he's called Emmanuel. I hope that's a blessing to you. Um, I was really hoping it wouldn't be, be just dry information, but it would be something to, to really uh, help you understand and know the, the clear teaching of Scripture.